Hello, Breakthrough listeners. This is Erwin, host of the November 9th Wealth Hacker Conference in Toronto with keynote by Mr. 10X himself, Grant Cardone. If you're serious about creating multiple streams of income to get freedom from your job, support your kids through school, we will be hosting an all-day masterclass for beginner to professional investors to get on the fastest path to achieving your goals. For more details, go to wealthhacker.ca and your special discount code is BREAKTHROUGH. Again, that's wealthhacker.ca for details, discount code BREAKTHROUGH. Sandy and Rob already have their tickets and we will see you all there. Hi, this is Dion Beg from Butler Mortgage. We're currently ranked the number one mortgage brokerage in Ontario and number two in Canada. And much of our success is due to the fact that we help clients acquire multiple investment properties. If you'd like to talk with a mortgage advisor who specializes in investment property, you can reach me at 888-684-8326. To learn more about what's going on in the world of investment property financing, check out episode 23 of the Breakthrough Podcast, where I discuss the topic with Robin Sandy. Breakthrough Real Estate Investing Podcast, episode 96. and welcome to the Breakthrough Real Estate Investing Podcast. We put this show together to inspire you and help you break through to the life that you want to live through the power of real estate investing. My name is Rob Brake and here with me again is Sandy McKay. What's going on, Sandy? Hey, uh, pretty much the same. Pretty excited to do another show here and uh, I don't know, get into the fall. Busy again. Everyone's back from vacation. So uh, we're having fun. It's busy, busy. I'm loving yeah. it. Yeah. Um, okay. So everyone who is listening should go over to breakthroughreipodcast.ca, download our free gift. What's that called, Sandy? The ultimate strategy for building wealth through real estate and uh, get on our email list, get on uh, you know, everything we're up to, your wealth tours. Um, we got a bunch of stuff coming up for the fall. So make sure you're on that list so you don't miss out on, a, on an episode and you don't miss out on any of our events. Yep, that's right. And you know all the other places to, to reach us. Um, if you would, please just leave us a rating and review on iTunes. That would be great. We've got a whole bunch of ratings and reviews on iTunes right now. We're up to 252. So, I mean, that, that is a ton of reviews and uh, 222 of them are five stars. And then we've got some variations going down. So, um, you know, take a couple minutes, everybody, and just to let us know what you think. If you have some plays, ways that we can improve, then we'd like to hear that too. I'm told that people like it if uh, it's a little bit shorter of an intro, Sandy. So we're going to go for that route and see what happens. Okay. <laughs> Let's uh, dive into the show then. Keep it simple. Yeah. Sounds good. All right. Well, uh, today on the show, we've got with us uh, Michael and Jen Richter of Double E Properties. And, uh, and they really personify the word teamwork by growing an 11 portfolio property as a, as a married couple and raising two young girls at the same time. Uh, they started their investment journey buying new built homes in Milton and Guelph, so just outside of, of Toronto. And they've, uh, they've recognized the change in the market and they focus now their attention on an additional strategy, which is creating legal secondary suites, mm-hmm. mainly on the Hamilton Mountain. Mm-hmm. And uh, Michael and Jen love the Burr, which is the buy, renovate, refinance, rent philosophy uh, as it creates passive income for their investors through forced appreciation and michael and jen love sharing their passion about real estate by speaking at networking events uh, hosting their own youtube video channel 
uh, Dudley Properties, being guests on podcasts and being featured in the Canadian Real Estate Wealth Magazine. So uh, welcome to the show, Michael and Jen, happy to have you here and uh, feel free, I guess, if you want to add anything to that intro, go ahead. Does that cover it? Yeah, yeah, that is a pretty good description. Yeah, we just want to say, Rob and Sandy, it's it's a, it's a pleasure, it's an honor to be here, and I think the biggest Canadian podcast. And we're really excited to share our knowledge and our experience with with your listeners. That's great. Really appreciate you guys taking the time to come on. It was short notice. We had a slot come open, and uh, I called and I called Michael and just said, "Hey, Michael, I'm I'm really hoping that you guys could 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 come on," and uh, he graciously accepted. So. Uh, appreciate you guys being here as well. Thank you. Thank you. So guys, let's jump right into it here. How did you get started in real estate investing? Um, we got started actually because of our little girls. Um, like I guess every typical parent, when you have a, a child and you have to sit down with the bank and they talk about are the RESPs and this is what you have to do when you have a kid to afford education. And at that time, we already had one rental property, which was Michael's first house he had bought when he was a single bachelor and we sat with the banks and I was like these returns don't sound actually really fabulous I'm like aren't we doing better with our rental property and so we got home and we ran the numbers and we were actually doing a lot better with the rental property than these returns the bank was promising us and we kind of joked we're like we should buy our three-month-old baby a house ha 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 and then a couple months later we actually did buy her a house and it was going really, really well. And then 18 months later, we had another little girl. And of course, you can't play favoritisms with your kids. So we had to buy our second daughter a house too for her education fund. And it was kind of just, we always just said, okay, just one more, just one more. And Mike would come home. He's like, okay, let's just get another one. I promise it's just one more. And it became this big joke with us that it was only going to be just one more. And eventually after 11 properties, I think we, I just gave up. I'm like, just let's just get more. It's fine. Mm -hmm. There's, there's no limit. Just keep going. Well, one, one thing that, that Jen is missing out, I mean, this is, we want to be real with everybody. It it sounds easy the way Jen said it, but when I started renting out my first property, I didn't know anything about rentals. There was no, you know, this was six, almost six years ago to this month. There was no podcast. There's, there's, you know, I I read a couple of books. There's no networks. I had no friends in this. I basically knew a couple of people who own the odd property and I didn't, I didn't really even understand. And I mean, I'm sure you've heard this before, but I read that book around that time, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And that's the only real training I had to get into this. Everything else, I kind of just had to ask questions and Google. A lot of Google. Don't do that, people. I didn't know anything about the leases or the finances, but I kind of just jumped in and I felt the anxiety. I felt, you know, the pressure. I, you know, (laughs) when the tenants, when it came time to doing key exchange, I didn't know the proper order of insurance and everything else that had to be put in place. But after that, you know what, it started to come together. And before we bought our, our first daughter of property, I realized when I looked at it, I go, hey, we're making a monthly income. My mortgage is getting paid down. And that the property has gone up in value. And our tenants basically cover anything. We're not putting anything into this and we're controlling this property. But when it came time to buying that second property from the builder, it wasn't, Jen wasn't on board because I didn't really present the numbers to her properly. I just had this vision. I go, hey, this works there's an opportunity, the builder's releasing. I ran the quick math, the napkin math on the paper, and the numbers worked again. But trying to convince Jen. Oh, no, there was no trying to uh-huh. convince Jen. He literally came home and said, we're buying a house, and just left to go buy it. And I was like, no, 
no, we're not. That's that's not how you no, no, we're not buying a house. Cause I come from a background of stocks, bonds, mutual funds. And so he was all just enthusiasm and was just like, it works, it just works. And I'm like, I need more numbers. Yeah, and our parents were, you know, people, our friends, family, they're yeah. like, they had spent their whole life paying down their mortgage. They're like, you guys want to get into more debt with your yeah. family? Like that doesn't so that was basically our environment. That was our that was our circle of influence. You guys are crazy to keep doing this. But I knew that, hey, you know what, if I was ever going to get out of the rat race, if I was going to ever get, you know, be able to quit my trade job and have multiple streams of income and live the lifestyle that I really desired to make a change in my life, we were going to have to own some sort of asset that produced an income that appreciated in value. I didn't know exactly how we we're going to do that, but I knew I'd have to do something and I knew, I knew it wasn't going to be comfortable based on the first one. You know what, it all came together, it worked. I was, you know, at, when things started to work out, it took a couple of years, I think, for Jen to really get on board. But after a while, the big difference was when I started to bring in professionals and I started to bring in professional mortgage brokers, the lawyers, the accountants, then Jen really started to, to get on board with me. And that sort of launched our career into real estate investing. Michael, I tried that uh, that uh, way of doing things myself and it didn't work out that well either. <laughs> it always works out big better surprise. when I saw on board. Absolutely. Um, and Jen's, Jen's my business partner. I need her. <laughs> So let's go back and talk about what you, so you mentioned sort of briefly what, what your strategy was at the beginning. Let's talk about that a little bit. So what we started doing is we started buying based on our lifestyle. And the reason why we started buying it, we started buying pre-construction homes because that's kind of all I knew what existed back then. You know, you buy, I thought real estate investing was just basically owning a single family home and, and having tenants in their owning uh, apartment buildings. I didn't really know about all the wonderful strategies that are in between what we were doing. So we started doing that because basically at the time I could put down money on a new build property. I could wait anywhere from, you know, at the time, six months to 18 months for that property to come to fruition before I need to really qualify for the property, come up with my full down payment and then, and then basically afford that property. And in the meantime, I didn't have to get my hands dirty. I didn't have to work with trades. All I really had to do kind of like being a joint venture partner passively. All I had to really do was write checks to the builder, uh, have a design meeting and pick up the property. That that worked back then. That worked for our lifestyle because you know I was still working full time and we're buying this. And with our family, I didn't really want to be involved in construction, all the moving pieces that we deal with today. So that suited us back then. And also back when we were buying these, we started buying them. There was a big gap between, it was almost like buying at wholesale between what the builders were selling it for and what it was basically listing for in the MLS as a turnkey product. And that was Smart usually, product, yeah. yeah, it was usually about a, a 10% gap. So we'd make about 40 to $50,000 typically by signing the property yeah. and getting it under contract. And that's kind of like making money on the buy for us. Then I'd have, you know, a runway space of a year, year and a half, then I could afford it. And then it was fairly straightforward. It wasn't too uncomfortable back then, but that's, that's how we started. And that was profitable for us. The only problem was it wasn't really scalable especially with the market changing. So that, that's how we, that's how we started. Well, I was going to say everything's perfect. Everything's perfect now. Right? You said, said there's some challenges there, but it's all, all easy and fun now, right? Oh, oh sure. Rainbows so and sunshine. Yes. Love it. <laughs> yeah. No problems. We Why just did want we every- give up the easy strategy? <laughs> <laughs> no, I was saying that like, we love the new build strategy and it definitely was a good getting your feet wet kind of into the real estate world, especially when like, I was pregnant and we had newborns and things like that. The tenant profile was different. It was a lot easier. But after time, 
you're not looking for easy. Now you're looking to more challenge yourself. You want to grow your portfolio. And like was saying, it wasn't scalable, especially at the prices that new builds are right now in the GTA. It's not going to work anymore for us. So we had to sit down and look at the market and be like, okay, what we were doing worked in the past, but we can't keep doing that. So we need to figure out a new strategy to keep going and grow. Mm -hmm. So we started looking into legal secondary suite conversions and we decided to do them on the Hamilton mountain. And it was, uh, Mike was all kind of panicky about changing strategies. And it was kind of funny because normally, like, I'm not the big real estate rah, rah, rah person in our relationship. But I was saying, Mike, it's exactly what we did with new builds. Just we're the builder now. We have all the control. We get to pick the trades. We pick the finishings. Uh, we have obviously a much shorter time frame than before. And I was like, Mike works in construction. So I'm like, this is what you do every day. But now we're working for ourselves instead of working for another company, making them money. Mm-hmm. Let's make ourselves some money. Yeah. So we already had all the pieces in place. And, you know, like I, I have a background in construction, you know, I've, I've, I'm a sheet metal worker by trade. So naturally I had a lot of contacts already with the trades. I'm, I'm very familiar with new construction. And we already had, you know, I remember we already had the experience dealing with tenants, dealing with financing dealing with the majority of what, what we're doing now, we already had that experience going into it. So this wasn't, it wasn't uncomfortable as I thought it would be starting. But the one thing that we didn't, that we didn't calculate for is, 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 is these, I mean, these are 60 year old properties that we're buying. So there's a lot of different variables that can come up when you're tearing down walls, you're opening up, you know, foundations, you're, you're buying these properties very, very quickly and you're turning them around and you're, and you're doing renovation work, you're dealing with home inspectors, you're dealing with, all the new codes that you have to put into place. There was a lot of things, you know, that came up that that we we didn't suspect. And remember, now we're the general contractor, we're we're the builders, so we, I mean, we're 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 accountable for that. Even if they're joint venture partners, we're, it comes down on us. The problems don't just basically leave at the end of the day. Now we're in the game. We got our skin in the game. It's up to us to solve them. So that you have to you have to account for those variables that, that come up mm-hmm. that we didn't always account for when we started this. What was the biggest reason for you guys to transition from this, that first strategy to this one? Cause it sounds like there's a lot more work involved. Oh yeah. Definitely. So what was the biggest reason why you chose to do that? Well, one of the, one of the reasons I did is because remember we're in a network. So we're, we're a part of, you know, a broad network and we have a lot of people in our own inner circle, a lot of friends now that, that do very, very well in real estate. So I started to look at variables and I started to look at, okay, what's making investors very successful. When you see people with these large portfolios, what are they doing? How can how can I absorb things from them? How can I replicate and duplicate, not reinvent the wheel, but how can I absorb qualities of what other successful investors are doing that are scaling up these large portfolios? And I looked at it, and whether it's multifamily or small multifamily or large apartment buildings, investors are typically buying properties for what their potential value is. So for example, you know, if a turnkey duplex is selling for $600,000 and we can buy it for $390,000, put just over $100,000 of work into it between closing costs, between renovation costs, and then the ARV, you know, at, at 600000 we're really forcing a lot of appreciation in there. And we're using, we're using the Burr model. So we're buying the property, we're renovating the property, we're refinancing it, we're renting it out, and then we're pulling all the money out of it and a cash out refinance. And then we're redeploying that money to repeat the process. So by, by, by looking at our own financial situation and saying, you know what, we don't have 
unlimited amounts of money. We needed to do what we were doing from the new builds, but we needed to do it much faster. So we're forcing our own appreciation. We're controlling the building process. We're looking at properties for what they're valued at, and that's you know in the $600,000 range, and we're buying them under value, and we're really forcing that appreciation in a much, much, much shorter time frame that we were with, with, with new construction. And what I liked about this, when we have it, we've, we've just completed our last month, we just complete, completed our first legal secondary suite to finish. Now it's tenanted. We've got the majority, almost all of the money back out of that for our investor on this. The whole property, I mean, it's almost brand new. We replaced all the plumbing. We replaced the majority of the electrical. The windows were updated. The roof was updated. So it's like having a new build it, again. It's, it's almost like we have a new build property. And because of this, because we we, we, we did mainly cosmetic up, upstairs, but we did a whole new basement, we were able to attract a profile of tenant coming through there that we that we now relate to, that we can, you know, that that we can be proud to put in that property. Yeah, and it's like I think everybody relates with us at some point in your real estate journey that you're gonna hit a plateau. We all have these like peaks and valleys with our investment career. And we were doing really well. We were on the upscale and then things started to plateau for a while. And I know some people, whether it's your second property, your fifth property, ninth property, everybody reaches that point where okay, how do I break through this wall? How do I keep going? Some people are great and they're like, I'm happy with my two properties. That's where I want to be. But we were hitting this big plateau with the new builds and we weren't happy to stop. We wanted to keep going. We wanted to keep growing. So it, like Mike was saying, it was a lot of uh, talking to other real estate uh, investors, doing a lot of research um, because we had to keep pushing. We don't want to just give up and be like, oh, new build doesn't work. So I can generate out of the real estate uh, rat race now back our day job. So it's one of those things I think a lot of people relate to is in life, we all hit plateaus and it's just how you get over them. We're very persistent. Yeah. And we had the mindset to say, you know what, if we don't get the opportunities, we're going to go out there and make the opportunities. Yeah. So instead of waiting for the market to basically turn around and come back and prices to go down and interest the rates to burst, fall, the bubble to burst, we <laughs> said, you know what, we're going to go out there. We're going to create our own opportunities. We're going to buy these old properties, make them really nice and basically, basically use the yeah. burr method, the burst and it's where it's worked. We've done, we've bought four. We've, got, we've done four this we year. Right? Four this so, year yeah. And for those who don't know, Burr is? So it's, it's buying it, buying a property, renovating the property or restoring it, renting the property out, refinancing it when you have the second renter in there, and then basically repeating the process. I like that. <clears throat> so, um, so again, you, you mentioned that you were looking at what other people were doing and that's sort of how you found yourself in in this new strategy so did you just rely on the fact that you had those people around you or or you were aware of them and and their processes um to know that you would be okay going forward or did you have to do a bunch of research and figure out exactly what it was going to look like before you jumped in or or what was the process there well, I'll be honest. When this when this, when this opportunity did come up, it was between Christmas and New Year's, the break last year. <laughs> and an opportunity came up with the agent we we're working for was off market. It was an estate sale, and he presented it to us. The off he had a client. The client fell through, and he says, "You know what, guys? I've got this opportunity. We can go off market." We looked at it right away. We're buying it under value. So right away, I was about forty thousand dollars under value, thirty thousand dollars under value. So we saw that value add in the beginning, and then we knew based on some comps what it was, we're already doing research, what it was, what the end product would be. 
And you know what? In that moment, I didn't, I didn't have all the answers. I'd been, I'd been working closely, you know, doing some masterminding and working with mentors in the past. So this, I mean, this was, this, this wasn't completely unfamiliar to me, but I didn't have all the answers and I didn't realize how much information there is and how complex this does get. It sounds simple when we're saying it, but there are many, many moving pieces that have that come together. We knew what we knew from what we knew in the past by the construction. But you know what, we were heavily reliant on our network and our power team. And we already had that in place because we're already going to networks, we're already dealing with people on our power team that are very, very well versed in the Burr method, in secondary suiting, in doing construction. So we weren't alone in this. And what gave me the confidence going forward is that if I didn't know the answer, which I didn't have the answers to a lot of things, working with you know the designer, working with city planners, uh, inspectors, working with the appraiser, the real estate agent. A lot of these people were investors themselves, you know, working with the accountant, the mortgage broker, the contractors. All of these people had the answers and were able to fill me in on things that I didn't know. And these people were only a call, a text message, an email away. And because of that, that gave me the confidence to move forward and just take action. And if I didn't take action, you know what, I wouldn't be where I am now. I wouldn't be able to speak on this podcast as confidently as I am now if we didn't do that. Because I went in there with the mindset that said, hey, you know what, this is sort of the risk. These are some of the variables. There was more things that went wrong that, that we didn't know about, but we still came out winning. We still came out ahead because we got a really good deal on the property and I had the right people in the right corners to basically check off the boxes that I didn't know. So because of that, that, that allowed us to get ahead because I had those people in my corner. And I only had that because I was taking action. I was going to networks. I was out there, I was offering value on Facebook and I had people around me that I could, that I could reach out to. And that, that was the big difference between me taking action and just saying, you know what, I'm just not ready. I just need more information and suffering from analysis and paralysis. There's that never a perfect time. There's never ever, perfect time. Ever, ever, ever perfect time. There's a point where you just have to suck it up and jump in and your network or your water wings and hopefully they keep you afloat. And yeah, your head's going to go under a couple of <laughs> times, but... Yeah. Got to learn. Yeah, that's how we learn, right? You just have to sometimes do it and jump in. <clears throat> and uh, you mentioned you you worked to, uh, with the city going to doing a legal conversion. I imagine you had to learn a lot through that process, especially on the first one. And, and you do recommend doing that on on all of them, if you, I guess when it on all the conversions they do, right? So, what would be the what would be some takeaways from that process, and and why do you suggest people go through that uh, process rather than kind of being more like cowboys and just doing it on their own well there's i mean there's a number of reasons so when we're doing it i mean at the end of the day our philosophy is that we want to our integrity is we want to create a product we want to create a clean safe product for our tenants to be in yeah and that also means you have to get things done right you have to get things done properly and i've seen you know i've been through so many properties through i've, I've looked through so many potential deals and even some of the properties we bought that we could have just said, hey, you know, we're just going to slap up some drywall and run electricity and, and let it go. Yeah, it's already good. finished. Yeah. But you start tearing out walls, you realize the electrical's done shoddy. I mean, there's only there's only half-eighths drywall. It's not insulated properly. There's a number of things wrong with what's behind those walls. And if you're not going to go through with it properly, you're also opening yourself to a certain liability. Too. And you want to make sure that you're covering, you're checking off all the boxes from a legal perspective. But you also want to make sure that, you know, your tenants at the end of the day are safe in that property and that they're also, you know, if, if we're going to the, the lengths, if it is more money to soundproof and go through this, the fire separation and, and have egress 
windows in that property, it's going to be a lot safer. And by involving the city, I know at the end of the day that I've got a clean product. I also know that if my neighbors aren't very happy with me or my tenants, or if anything happens, or I have a disgruntled tenant, they're not going to call the city and try to enforce it and shut me down if it ever came to that, right? One of the other reasons why we did that too, this is important, that we got on, on closing, when we checked off these boxes and our we got our final inspection, we also got a zoning verification certificate. Now we had to apply through that and, and fill an application that doesn't just come naturally. You have to apply to the city for that. But the big difference is, is because we had that zoning, zoning verification certificate, our appraisal jump, I think it was, it was what, 30, it was 30 or 50,000. It was $50,000. Right, we got more because it was now in the bank's eyes, the appraiser could check off that this was a legal, a legal yep. secondary suite, a legal duplex. And because of that, the bank recognized that as a stronger asset. If they had to go up or go into a liquidation and market that property and, and offsell it. So that there got us a much stronger appraisal too. And also when we eventually sell these products, they are going to sell more and faster on the market as a legal secondary suite conversion as well, too. So as yeah, as Mike was saying. It is a little bit more money when you're doing like the soundproofing, the, the insulation, things like that. But in the bigger picture, you're going to be gaining a lot more uh, on the property than for the couple thousand you spend at the beginning. So. And you're going to have happier yeah. tenants too that aren't complaining about you know hearing noise upstairs, and hearing noise yeah. and sound, right? So. so a lot of people, a lot of people kind of maybe get a little overwhelmed by that thinking about going through that process. Was there obviously a bunch of challenges, maybe more so on the first one that you would have done than than some. Oh God! After that, but what, what were some challenges? Oh, that was all perfect, Sandy. What are you talking about? It was amazing. Know. It was like a three-month project. It was wonderful. In and out, quick, simple. Yeah, yeah, always. Yeah, it's funny because you know my background in construction. I did I did a timeline of what everything would take. You know, trades in because I'm used to high production working with big production sites and watching our, our pre-construction homes go up. <laughs> it doesn't always go as scheduled. So you always have to have you have to have a pretty good yeah. buffer in this, right? No, we. We had probably about two really big shocking ones. The first one was like you were saying, it was on the first property where we literally had the contractor in the very first day. We had done nothing to the property. He was just coming in to do the demo and he got 20 minutes into the demo and he called Mike and he's like, you need to get to the property. Mike's like, you've only been in the house for like 20 minutes. What happened? He's like, you need to come here. And then Mike calls me and he's like, oh my God, Jen, you need to come to the property. I'm like, he sends me a picture we had a crack in our foundation not a vertical one because everybody knows what to do with a vertical crack we had a horizontal crack in our foundation that went from the front of the house to the back of the house and it was so deep i could put my hand into the crack of the foundation so we have photos of like literally my hand inside the wall and we were like good good first project 20 minutes in and now we have this. And like we were saying, we called all our networking investors and we were like, hey, how do you guys fix cracks in the foundation? And everyone's like, oh, I can do vertical. We have lots of vertical cracks, board foundations. They had solutions for all this, but we had uh, concrete block and it was horizontal. So that was like you're saying, a lot of research, a lot of phone calls, a lot of phone calls, a lot of panicking. And some of it is like, oh my God, what did we get ourselves into? And sure, we kind of allowed ourselves the first like 20 minutes of <gasps> panic, but then we're like, okay, it's fixable. Like it is, we just have to figure out how to fix it. And I think our second big one was the kitchen surprise. 
Like the kitchen. Yeah. So after we got through that, we bought, we bought the second problem. The first one is a joint venture partner. So it's always, it's never, it's never fun to tell them about big, big problems like that, but we got through it. Everybody still got out and we still made very big returns. But mm -hmm. the second property, it was going to be more intense. We wanted to do this one on our own. We wanted to close on this on our own. So we, the second purchase we made in Hamilton was back in the winter. Again, we avoided the block wall foundation. We found a concrete foundation. We'll again, learn it. it it was an estate sale, so we had to make a quick offer. We wanted to beat everybody else out, but we bought it. It was a two-bedroom house, and that was deterring some of the offers of on the last coming in, we felt. But I had the vision, because it was very similar to the land on the first property, that you know we could turn this easily, based on the square footage, into a three-bedroom. So I had my designer involved in this. I bounced the ideas off of him. He said, you know what? We can do this, this, this. I'll take care of it. So we closed on that. Uh, as soon as we closed on that, we did a one month closing. I had, I had the same contracting crew go in. They spent almost a week demoing this because our vision was we're going to take the kitchen from the back corner of the house, move it to the front of the house, separate the living room and dining room and do a much more modern open concept. Yeah. So I got the guys rolling on that. At the time, we still had a new build property that we were qualified for that we had to close on as well. And we're just, it was great. I mean, it was all lined up on schedule. We're going to, we're going to, get the mortgage on the, on the, on the wealth property. Yeah. As soon as that was done, I was going to qualify. At the time, the mortgage broker said, no problem, it's going to cost more. We're going to go with the fee lender. It was all fine. The problem is, is that our wealth property, because it's a new build, because we don't have control, kept getting delayed and delayed and delayed and pushed right back. Every new build gets delayed, guys. Right back. Every new build. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm an action guy. I want to keep things in motion. So I said, okay, you know what? We'll just, this is on lines of credit. We still have, we still have some credit available. Let's let's just hire the let's just pay the contract. We'll just keep the project going. We'll be ahead. So come financing. We had to buy secure, the house cash. Yeah, That's what he's saying. It's yeah. we couldn't get another mortgage to buy the Hamilton property because then it would screw up the pre-approval of the mortgage on the Guelph new build mm -hmm. property we had. So we had to buy off the books per se. So we just bought the Hamilton property in cash. Mm -hmm. And we're like, well, we'll only have to once the Guelph property closes, we'll put a mortgage on the Hamilton property. However, here's the Guelph problem. kept delaying here's the over and over, here's over and the, over. Had Guelph closed on time, we would have been fine. We would have, we would have gotten the mortgage on that. Here's the problem though, because we gutted the kitchen, we had, you know, we, we'd opened up walls. It was a full construction, it was a full blown construction site. Yeah. When we brought the appraiser in there from, from the credit union that we're using, I, I, I always suggest you come the appraiser because they're going to have a lot of questions for you and I don't like to mislead them or, or boast about how quality good the property is but they have a lot of questions too and you want to try to answer the questions properly. So be there in the appraiser's we're, we're in there too and they want to see your vision. The problem is though is that when we gutted the kitchen the appraiser said you're probably not going to get financing on this because I can't check off the boxes that this is this is a functional property without a kitchen. Yeah. I'm like, well, what do you mean? I've got this going, you know, and in a matter of months from now, this will be a beautiful product. We're ahead of time. And she's like, no, this, the bank, if they ever have to go into a marketable, a liquidable position, they can't sell this to a normal family. So there's no kitchen. There's no kitchen. So because of that, that created a big problem there. But we didn't know that. We were just we so happy that. that we're like, woo, the reno's on schedule. We've gutted the whole place. Oh, now we're finally getting our mortgage put on the house. But nope. it, 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 no, it, tur it turns out, but it turns out because because we're dealing with a smaller credit union that, that that was very understanding, they understood investment, they dealt with investors before. They qualified me for what the after repair value was, which is $613,000 minus the cost of the renovation value that we were putting in. 
So that that one aspect of them understanding saved us. If not, I would have had to go for construction loans. It would have been very, 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 very expensive at the time. So because of that, that that basically got us out of that. The second problem was with that, they understood it. They said, well, the language and what you said and what you used, I said it was a legal secondary suite. And some banks call it, you know, a duplex, some banks call it a, 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 two, a, a, a two unit yeah. dwelling. They said, we're only going to go 25% uh, or 75% no, loan to value versus the normal 80% loan to value. And that difference in price because of that language that we use, what we said on the application, was about a $30,000 difference, which I mean, for us, I mean, $30,000 is a big deal because our, our we measure our returns based on the amount of money we have left in the property. Whether it's for us or investors, we always like to pull that money out and leave as little of the money in the property as possible, provided that we qualify and have the proper debt coverage ratio running on the properties at all time, which is easy to hit when you have two units now paying you rent, which we didn't on our single family suite. So because of that language, we almost ran into that. But because, remember, we're working with investor-friendly banks now and lenders that we found through our network. They basically put up a case for us and they said, because Mike and Jen have a lot of experience, because they've done this before, because they've been investing for a long time, we're going to change the language to just, just a duplex, or no, it was, it was, a, no, it was a... Can't say duplex, it's no, you can't, you can't say duplex. No. duplex was a purpose-built right. building. What it was, it was an accessory. Ours, yeah. ours was a bungalow. They, they wanted it, they said, as long as you can... Verify that it, it's an accessory suite. Accessory, accessory suite. <laughs> we got it. But listen, you know. Sorry, so you know what's like on Saturday night. It was, it was we that little bit done. of language, and they finally yeah. said, "Okay, you know what? We're going to label yeah. it this. And this is the language going forward. They're always going to use when you come back here." They made that exception. So now going forward, now we've got the money for that property, the first mortgage on that property. We've got our twenty percent loan to value, yeah. and then and then that that, that seemed to work out. So how do you do that? You just show them the building permit and it says you're, what you're, what you're, yeah. Is that what it was? It the says what you're trying to do. Yeah. Right. Cause it showed okay. that it used to be a single family dwelling bungalow and that we've gone through all the legal permits. We've done everything, checked off all the boxes according to the city. The city comes back in, they check everything and then you get the zoning re-verification, which by the way, you need for garbage because now you're going to have double the amount of garbage at your property. So you do need to take that to the city, um, waste department and show them that it is legal so they do actually have to pick up all the garbage and recycling um but to have that uh makes a big difference when you're doing this so guys don't gut your house and apply for mortgages yeah that was really yeah, but, but you know what conversely no. think of, so think about the difference though conversely you could have said okay well let's put our let's put our project on hold until we get our financing in place you guys could have been sitting there for six months waiting for yeah. it so, yep. you know, the, the, you, and you wouldn't have been happy with that either. So, no. you know, I, I think you guys did it the right way, even though there was a challenge, you were able to overcome it and, and continue on. So, you know, there's always going to be a challenge, regardless, if you looked at it the other way, there's a challenge, you know, They're there's a, a different type of challenge. Yeah. Exactly. Learning opportunity. Yeah. Um, Oh, sorry. And also one of the things I mentioned too, when we started doing this full renovation, when we're moving around walls and running all from the electrical, ESA is now, I mean, remember, they're going to go through there and now they're going to basically overlook the whole job. They now have authority on the project because we're doing it legally. So they basically said, no, all the wiring up top has to be redone. So that's going to add to the bill on the final price, which mm. we didn't have to do 
when we're just doing cosmetic work on the other projects we did this year. So mm -hmm. that's something that we didn't we didn't fully understand when we got into it. That we've learned everything. Once you start moving around things and touching walls, everything has to be brought up to modern building code because it can no longer be grandfathered <laughs> into what it was designed for originally, which is a second a single family dwelling. It sounds like you guys picked properties with the intentions of learning a yeah. lot. <laughs> helping the community we pick yeah. the worst properties and we run into all these problems and they're like hey guys so let me save you all the trouble hassle money time and we'll tell you in advance but you know, you know what the great thing is even once we do this like we're running the math where we are and what we're anticipating like we're running towards the end of the project now we're we're only going to keep between 50 and sixty thousand dollars we're looking at in this property we're going to have you know a six hundred thousand dollar property cash well with both rents running over $3,500 a month, right? Combined rents. So we're still doing, you know, despite the things that happen, the hiccups along the way, because we're buying properties well enough under value and because the ARP value and the appraised value is high enough and the cash flow is high enough, we're still going to, you know, hit our target. It won't be exactly what we did. Remember, we're taking on a certain risk level by building up these assets. We're still going to, you know, we're still going to have numbers that we're satisfied with. And as much as we say there are challenges or learning opportunities, when the bigger picture that actually makes it um, easier to buy properties under value because there's so many properties out there that as soon as the agent says there's a, a foundation problem that scares off half the investors mm -hmm. right there we're like oh foundation problem Shh, can't be as bad as our first one we'll buy it under value we can take it on now we know about all this like moving walls kitchens larger renos we can take on these projects that may scare off other people uh, and get a much bigger discount on them. So yeah, they are a little challenging and keep you up at night sometimes. But uh, in the end, we're thinking, well, now we've just opened up our opportunity to buy mm -hmm. so many other projects we wouldn't have before. So it's a good thing in the long run. So you guys work with partners. How do you structure your joint venture deals? So what we've done on these, what we've done with us on our joint venture partners is typically, so we're the active partner. I mean, we're going out there, we're finding a deal, we're organizing the construction crews, we're designing the property, we're, we're pulling everything together. We're doing all the legwork, we're managing them with general contractors basically, and we're seeing it through from A to B. What we need from uh, a capital partner is somebody basically, I mean, there's two things that they're responsible for in our joint venture agreements. They're responsible for qualifying for the mortgage, which typically goes through our pipeline anyway and our contacts we align them with, with our power team and they're also in, in our structures they're also responsible for putting down the down payment covering the closing costs carrying the project all the way through for the, for the amount of time we have construction and they're also responsible for the construction budget that we predetermined ahead of time so that's those are those are the things it's basically the capital the base it's basically the, the, the financing going into the property the equity portion, and it's basically qualifying for those mortgages going forward. And that's what we need from, from joint venture partners. And that's worked very, very well in the three deals we've done with joint venture partners so far. And it's split 50-50. And it's a 50-50 split. Yeah. So, and the way, the way we do it is that we don't see, I mean, because there's a lot of variables in this, we don't see any of the money before the joint venture partner gets all of their capital out. So we do five-year agreements. So as soon as the joint venture partner gets all of their capital out that they put in up front, then after that, everything's split 50-50. Yeah. Our value is the time and the expertise we put in. Their value is bringing the Finding qualifying the power and basically putting up the capital. And we meant, so like we'd also find the tenants, we tended the properties, uh, things like that. So it just doesn't stop at the reno. So 
and at the end of the day, because we've done the rental ourselves, we know the property the best. So if there's any issues, we already know all about it. And like I said, it's pretty much a new build property now. So they run themselves very well. Awesome. So if that sounds good to anyone listening, then feel free to contact these guys. We're going to talk about your uh, uh, how to get in touch with you in a minute. We got one more question, I think, right, Sandy? Well, I want to know about the the how they work the because we're a couple and investing together. Actually, all, probably all of us on this call are in a similar situation with that. I know I am at least. My wife's pretty active in it. Um, how do you leverage each other's skills, or or do you separate things, or do you just all take on everything together? How do you work that? Oh no! Oh no! We hundred percent separate things. Is it There's, smooth? Is that smooth? No way! I would want to do what he does in the business. I always joke, I said, we are each other's like yin and yang in the business. And I think in the beginning we were wanted to do it together and we were kind of like stepping on each other's toes a lot. And eventually what's worked best for us is letting us be the best we can be. And so my strengths are in legal, technology, uh, the website, uh, any uh, documents. I love all of the fine detail stuff. Mike has a vision that I could not even imagine. And he has the construction background. He has the personality, the networking. He will talk about real estate, I swear to God, one o'clock in the morning. He never stops talking about it. I have a limit how much real estate I can do. So having that balance in the business where I know he's gone to the construction site, he's dealing with all the trades. I don't have to follow up. I don't have to check in what's going on. He doesn't have to check in to see how our website's doing or how the Instagram account is going. Uh, we kind of let each other do our own things because at the end of the day, why duplicate myself? Like I need to do what I do in the business. He needs to do what he does in the business. And it's worked out really, really well. And I think having space and I think being married, I think, and working together is always a struggle, whether you're doing real estate or any type of business with your partner that you kind of need boundaries sometimes where you can't talk about the business at the dinner table or when you're going on date night maybe the first like 20 minutes, catch up on stuff, but then put the real estate aside. Don't mm-hmm. talk about that. Please don't talk about mortgages at three o'clock in the morning. Cause I really don't care. <laughs> so there needs to be a bit of that separation, I think with the business. And we, we've worked really hard to do that. And I think that makes being married and working together a lot easier. Big picture. Yeah. A lot, a lot of it for me was finding out really what I wasn't good at. And I realized there's a lot of things that, that, you know what, I'm, I'm not great at in business. And there's people like my wife who are so much better. It's not that I can't do them, but they're just so much better than I am. So when I started to realize that Jen liked a lot of the stuff that I didn't do in, which is the nitty gritty, the paperwork, filing, organizing, oh, details. Yeah. I mean, for me, that just that just takes yeah. me so long. When really, I want to be out there. I want to be out there doing deals, meeting people, looking at properties, uh, forming relationships. I love doing that stuff. That stuff lights me up. I like to see a property grow. I like to see the growth of our portfolio. I often say, you know what, if it wasn't for Jen, I mean, I don't want to say bankrupt, but <laughs> there might, there might be, I joke, some, I'm his lawyer. there might be some problems. Jen's also my oh, lawyer yeah. too. And she's also the calming factor. So when I get back at the end of the day, remember I have to filter it how quickly and when I speak and when I do this, because at the end of the day, I don't want to overwhelm that of real estate. But Jen is also the one that says, Mike, take a deep breath before you email that person or call that person and then do it without your emotion. Do it, do it logically, do it rationally. Right? So Jen's, Jen's uh-huh. helped me a lot and I've helped her a lot with that. But because of that sort of synergy we have, 
we're able to work very, very well. It's taken a long time to get to this point. Yeah. We've had our, certainly had our, our disagreances. And Jen's told me that, you know, I've, I've got to go out and I've got to have my network and vent and talk about people that love talking about Find friends. Find yeah, some so friends. I've, I've made a lot of friends since, since we've been doing this. That I can, I can bounce these ideas off constantly. But Jen and I have come a long way. I couldn't imagine, you know, as much as the frustrations we face from time to time being in business with anybody but my wife. It makes right it now. easier in the long run, knowing that your partner loves you and supports you and that you can lean on somebody you really trust. Because when these things go bad, they go bad. And just knowing you can love and trust your partner to get you through it, it makes real estate things so much easier in the long run. Well, that's awesome. Congratulations, you guys, on all the success so far. Um, and thanks again for coming on today and sharing all of this stuff. So how can people get in touch with you? you can get a, we got a new website up and running. So it is double e properties.ca. We're also really active on Instagram and Facebook and our Facebook and Instagram is double e properties. You guys can give us a follow and see what's happening with all our projects right now. And also we have a YouTube channel that Mike is running right now that he talks a lot about some tips, trades. Um, what else have you been talking about? Oh, I like, so the YouTube channel, yeah, I've just started sharing information I just edit them that. and put them up. Yeah. That's my job. <laughs> I just like that. It's like we've discussed in this. I like yeah. to just, just share information with people and then do thought leadership and just, just talk about it. not Not only the good and rah, rah, rah stuff that makes you a lot of money, but also, you know, the, the, the problems, the obstacles, things that, things that happen that I, you know, hope other people will watch and I can, I'm able, that way I'm able to contribute and be part of the movement going forward and watching other people and experiencing other people experiencing success in real estate and also, you know, going through their goals too. I get a lot of feedback from that. So that's, that's something I do more or less for fulfillment and to help motivate and inspire other people to do what we're doing and yeah. overcome their real limiting belief system. What is, what is double E properties? There must be a little story behind uh, the name. So double E properties. So our daughter's names are Ella and Emily. So Got it. that's why it's a double E. So if we have another kid, we're screwed. We're going to have to change the company. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We'll have another two kids and have to like square it off to make it easier. Got it. Okay. So um, everyone, you can go into the show notes and get all that contact information. We'll have links to all that stuff that you just mentioned in there. And thanks again, guys. Really appreciate it. Sandy, how can people. Thank you. Yeah, that's fantastic. Uh, if you want to reach me, info at mckayrealtynetwork.com or 289-389-6846. I think the best way to reach me is just info at breakthrough podcast.ca. And thanks again, everybody for listening. We'll see you next time.